What's going on, Ken Fog? Yes, sir. Welcome back to Key to the City Podcast. We're back with episode nine, baby. Still rolling along. I appreciate everybody that's been tuning in and uh, still showing support for the podcast. Still liking, sharing, coming, telling your homeboys and your homegirls. We showing up. Appreciate it, Ken Folk. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. Shout out to uh, my guest for episode eight. We had my man Drevo Coolidge in this thing. Uh, very unique sound. Very talented artist. Y'all check him out. Support him. Go follow and stream all his music. Uh, the man jamming, you dig? I wouldn't lie to you. And uh, just like last episode, this one is no different. We're going to keep hitting you in your head with quality content and quality guests. And uh, my man I got with me today, he's going to keep us fresh to death from head to toe. You dig that? He's a uh, designer and he is the founder of Kairos Customs, where they specialize in opulent custom menswear. Yes, sir. I definitely got to see what's going on with this. Uh, entrepreneur in the city for a minute, man. He's well known, and uh, we're gonna find out a little more about him, his background. Uh, find out how he got the passion to be tailored and fresh to death every day because I can't even muster it. And uh, maybe he can drop a few tips on your boy. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Ken Folk, y'all welcome to the city, Mr. Kyrus Brown. What's going on, King? What's good, brother? I appreciate the opportunity, man. I'm happy to uh, be on your platform and also um, just share some space with you, man. Let's build. Likewise, likewise, brother. And uh, that is one of the mottos of the show, let's build and build with your camp folk. And that's what we're trying to do here, man. So uh, for myself and my audience, just give me a little bit about your background, uh, where you're from originally, where you hail from, where you attended school, things like that. Okay, okay man. man. I'm from the Mississippi Delta, man. Um, Cleveland, oh, okay. By way of uh, Mount Bayou in Winstonville, Mississippi, man. Um, if you know a little history, man, Mount Bayou is a significant place. It's um, founded by um, former slaves, one of the first black towns founded by slaves. A lot of people always revere, you know, Tulsa, Oklahoma's Black right. Wall Street, which um, definitely shout out to them. But uh, my hometown is definitely one of the ones that was a Black Wall Street within itself, man. So that's my roots, man. I call it the microcosm of the world. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I want to circle back to that. Yeah, so, uh, man, just from uh, Mississippi Delta town, man, uh, was fortunate to kind of have family all throughout, you know, with the Great Migration. A lot of family left the South and went to the Midwest, to Chicago, Milwaukee, Flint, Michigan, out west of Cali, you know, and all throughout the East Coast, you know, as far as up in D.C., um, for the most part. Now, of course, all throughout the South, man. But mm -hmm. uh, basically got my education, graduated high school. Uh, from Eastside High School, um, home of the Trojans. Eastside. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like Joe Clark. You know, what I mean? <laughs> it, was, it was rough like that, but you know, we got a rich history as well. But um, yeah. I finished up high school. I went to a junior college, uh, double major, and then I transferred to um, University of Southern Mississippi. Got another um, dual in um, basically merchandise uh, marketing as well as fashion. And um, eventually, I got a bachelor's. I mean, not a bachelor's, a master's. Um, I finished coursework at Grand State University um, for the most part. So, you know, I got a, you know, I got a few degrees for the most part, even though I think one of them only applies. But uh, yeah, it's all know, good. Within um, the classroom, but also in the streets. I got a, a very diverse, you know, upbringing when it comes mm -hmm. to, you know, just far as family and, um, you know, people on the on the right end, on the bad end, man. So right. I kinda, you know, know both sides but um that's that's just a little bit of information man as far as where i'm from and my education you know pertains to 
Facts, facts, facts. And circling back to Mount Bayou, the reason why it stuck out to me is because when um, people were talking about this whole blackout thing uh, they've been doing the last few weeks, um, and they were uh, discussing Black Wall Street, uh, which is mostly known in our community, uh, but there was, uh, I won't call it a meme, but like a graphic circling around, circulating about Mount Bayou and uh could you just give us a little brief history on that? Like why it's so important? Yeah, man, Mount Bayou, Mississippi, you know, so everybody, well, everybody probably don't know, but here in Mississippi, you had um, the, the Confederacy when they seceded from the Union um, right before the Civil War broke off, broke out. Um, you had the Confederacy uh, president was Jefferson Davis. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they have a whole you know, museum, mausoleum, and everything down on the Gulf Coast in Biloxi, Mississippi, pretty much where his library, his president's um, presidency library is. And um, his brother um, was basically a plantation owner in the Mississippi Delta. At the time, it was named something different. It wasn't called Mount Bayou. Um, mm-hmm. But basically what he did on his plantation, he allowed the um, slaves not only to, you know, be within their skill set of being, you know, blacksmiths and, 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 and building and being, you know, basically sharecroppers and things of that nature. He allowed them also to have some form of literacy. Mm-hmm. So when the Confederacy folded, um, some of those newly freed slaves, he gave them the opportunity to purchase the plantation and purchase their area. And okay. later on, that became to be an establishment called Mount Bayou, Mississippi, um, founded by um, predominantly Isaac T. Montgomery. Um, there's an elementary school there um, named Isaac T. Montgomery. Actually, my mom, she was sixth grade queen there uh, for the most wow. part. But um, in the earlier um, part of um, the 1900s, you know, Mount Bayou was basically a staple for um, black banks, black, uh, black insurance companies, black grocery stores, black cotton gins, um, basically everything black. Um, that town was basically the staple and the cradle of black, basically, um, economics, more so in North Mississippi. Um, mm-hmm. One of the first black hospitals was actually founded there. My, my mother, my grandmother uh, were all born in that hospital. Um, and then there's a little small town adjacent to it. It's called Winstonville, which is uh, my roots also. My uncle is the mayor there now. But, um, mm-hmm. you know. Back in the day, my great grandfather, he was an alderman there. And, um, you know, they, they say you can you can do something to a white person and seek refuge in Mount Bayou because, you know, the citizens, you know, they were either going to stand up or they were going to perish, you know, defending what was theirs. What's significant was when um, Emmett Till, Emmett Till was, you know, brutally kidnapped and slain like 20 miles from where I was born and raised. You know, I could take mm-hmm. you to Money, Mississippi, where the store where he was kidnapped, I could take you to the Tallahatchie River where his body was right. actually you know, recovered. But when his mother came down from Chicago to attend the trial in Tallahatchie County, every day, Tallahatchie County is adjacent to Bolivar County where Mount Bayou is. And Mm -hmm. um, she would have an armed brigade, nothing but black brothers, taking her from Mount Bayou to the Tallahatchie Courthouse and from Tallahatchie Courthouse after the trial was over with, as far as during the day, back to Mount Bayou. So Mount Bayou was, was, it was legit, man. You know, so those are my roots, though. Wow. See, I would have never known that. Each one teach one. That's what it's about right there. And see, that inspires me to go and uh, do my own research and find out more about it. I appreciate that history lesson, brother. No problem, brother. Uh, 
So back on the swag, man, where the whole passion for fashion come from? Where's the inspiration come from? Doing my research on you, I see that you were inspired by uh, your mother and father, correct? Um, so is that like a family legacy? That yeah, you all have? definitely family legacy, man. You know, um, you know, my master's in social science, man, and in sociology, you have this term called socialization process. And basically with the rappers, they talk about it all the time, but that's just a, you know, a technical scholarship term for it. But it's basically you, you're the product of your environment. You know, mm-hmm. you pretty much mirror what you see. We wouldn't know how to be human if it wasn't for human interaction, you know, for right. the most part. So, you know, I was heavily influenced uh, within fashion based upon, based upon my mother, my great grandfather, you know, uncles and a lot of other people. You know, we took pride in our dress. So ever since I can remember, clothing and fashion has always been just a staple within my family. Uh, for the most part, you know, you got families who are notable for, you know, being athletes and some mm-hmm. being, you know, great musicians and singers. Well, right. my family is kind of known to, you know, being able to put on some threads real, real nice. And also, <laughs> make some- yeah, I um, I don't know you personally, but I definitely seen you around the city and I've never seen you slacking uh, when it comes to them threads. <laughs> You're always on point. So it's like, was this the goal the entire time? Like. Most of us that go through life, we don't figure out what it is that we're passionate about to later in life after we've experienced a few things. But there are few that are blessed to know what their purpose is or passion is from the get go. So has this always been the plan, the path? Man, it, it has directly at one point and then sometimes it's been indirectly. But the significant thing about myself, I've always paid attention to what comes to me easy and what I, what I also enjoy. Uh, but I could take you back to, you know, being a kid, having, you know, awards Award. and best dress, voted mm-hmm. by my peers. Um, you know, w- my first customized project was um, some actually the original Concords in 95, 96. I actually did a science project on them. And um, when I was done with the science project, basically when I was reassembling the shoe around the patent leather part, my mom had a Louis Vuitton um, scarf and I-, I sold the Louis Vuitton around the patent leather. And I basically had wow. customized Jordans, man. So, you know, it's it's normal now. But back then, mm-hmm. you're talking about, you know, 25, 20, 26 years ago, it wasn't so normal then. So um, that was some of my roots for the most part, man. But, you know, my senior book, I always said that I was going to travel the world, live around the world, uh, pretty much be a designer. And, you know, those are things in my senior book. I posted sometime, you know, just to show inspiration. But mm-hmm. um, for the most part, you know, I've always been on track, but sometimes I've been off track, but I've always understood where my focus was and what my passion was. And um, what I've always done well, um, you know, I'm a, a very optimistic person and I'm also a very practical person. So when shit kind of happened, well, my bad. Can, I, I no, this is the city, man. We talk on okay. here. I, 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 I. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when, when shit happens sometimes, you know, I never go into a victim stage. I always try to find an opportunity uh, within that, whether it's good or bad. And throughout the years, ever since coming out of college and, um, you know, having fashion degrees, but not necessarily starting off in fashion, I've always kind of paid attention to what we call serendipity moments. You know, some people mm-hmm. say, you know, they're divine by God, which I do believe, you know, because I think there's a divine order in everything that we do. And you just have to have enough wisdom and foresight to extract the good out of the bad 
And um, I've always fortunately been able to do that. So even the times when I was off course, I've always had in mind what I wanted to do. And when I see the opportunity that presents itself, when I wasn't necessarily forcing it, I took from it, learned from it, and then I build on it. And that's pretty much what I've been doing, you know, I would say over relatively the last decade. You know, I've okay. been getting a lot of, I guess, notoriety for the last, you know, probably six, seven years on Instagram, which it really has enhanced things because of just technology. Um, mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's always been a part of me. It's always been a plan, man. That's what's up, man. Woo! See, that's that's motiv- that could motivate anybody in any industry uh, alone, just off of what you're saying. How long, when did you decide to jump out there with uh, Kairos Customs? How long man, you been so operating? The concept, so the concept, man, has started probably about 10 years ago uh, behind the scenes uh, for the most part. I never would imagine that I would be doing, I would say, like formal suiting because, mm-hmm. you know, my roots are really in urban fashion. I mean, come on, man. I'm a young brother, you know, grew up early 80s babies, grew up in the 90s, okay. heavily influenced. I'm a hip hop, southern country rap tune, just aficionado. Hey. So I take pride in our hip hop culture and I like pimp say our our country rap tunes culture. So of course I always wanted to be in an urban space. And that's actually where my roots were, like I said, with custom shoes. I used to do custom clothes, custom jerseys. You know, I was kinda like one of the guys I always kind of just have the latest, but then put a twist on it for the most part. Um mm-hmm. and you know, that was initially what I wanted to pursue up until when I basically became a legit professional within just in the work, um, the work environment, I've always, you know, had great clothing, um, whether it was, you know, Cornelia or, um, or Zinnia, uh, mm-hmm. Ferragamo, a lot of, you know, just basically reputable, credible brands um, due to my father. But um, probably about 10 years ago, the wheels kind of actually got turned. And then from that, I started to piece by piece start to do certain things. And then I kind of had some direct, you know, exposure to the business and the industry, which I'm in right now from, you know, I still call him a mentor, um, you know, from afar. But um, I learned a few things and then um, the opportunity came about for me to kind of like partner or do it on myself, do it by myself. And, um, you know, I, I think I was forced to do it by myself because the person I wanted to partner with, they pretty much kind of declined it. So, mm. again, that goes back to, you know, taking a negative and to turn it to a positive. You know, most people, they would have probably reverted or probably would have fell back because right. their initial won't then necessarily happen. But I'm right. the type of person, I'm just kind of like, shit, with they, the old school folks, you either going to shit or get off the pot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know, I'm the shit, you know, so I'm going to make it happen. And that's what I basically did. And um, social media really kind of heightened and influenced it a lot more because I, I started to turn my page around more so towards business and not necessarily just person, personal mm-hmm. all the time. And um, that's basically what happened, man. And from there, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's been growing piece by piece. So school me on the tailoring game, man. I don't think I've owned a tailored suit yet. I'm 36. Okay. Just turned 36. Tailoring is is totally different from alterations, right? Well, it's a so you have they're synonymous, but they're different. And just to explain it, um, an alteration person can actually correct certain errors 
on a suit. That's mm -hmm. what an alteration person. That's why the key word is to alter, meaning mm -hmm. that they can change it. A tailor can do that, but a tailor can actually construct their entire garment. Okay. So the modern suit in which we wear, it, de it derives from a military uniform, basically in Europe, in England. It's basically um, an old military uniform. And um, what we basically have, you have, you have a, a Parisian style of tailoring. You have an Italian style of tailoring. You have an English style tailoring and here in America. And then you can also say an Asian style because Japanese, um, they're very, you know, keen on their style of how they make suits, um, especially denim. You know, back in the day, red monkeys and the Vizu jeans, mm -hmm. like those are real, real expensive jeans. And the reason, well, if, they, if you bought them real, they were real expensive. Right. <laughs> you there was, you know, a lot of people rocking like red monkeys, but they yeah. bought $100 for them, you know? <laughs> Uh, right. But Japanese denim is salvaged denim, and it's some of the most expensive denim in the world. So, but just to get back on those three, which is um, Parisian, which is France, Italian, and also English, here in America and Western culture, we kind of adapt all three of those suiting tailoring styles, and we implement them into what our style is. And here in the Western world, or here in America, we kind of like we're a very trendy country. So you know, like now. I call them um, female suits, but you know the guys they like wearing you know the skinny suits, yeah, and they real yeah. short. You know that's a trend, you know for the most part. Um, but you know tailoring it, it comes about like I said in those three areas. But here in the Western world, um, here in America, we kind of take from all three of those. But to go mm -hmm. back to your original um, description, tailoring and alterations, they're similar. A alteration person, they can basically correct or change anything from a garment. A tailor can do that, but a tailor actually creates an entire piece for the most part. So what will go into the process uh, if I reached out to you as a potential client? Hey, man, I, I got an event coming up. I want to re look real nice. Should I already have ideas in mind of what I'm looking for? Or are you going to ask me questions to get that out of me? And um, yeah, just let me know what uh, your average process is like for the average client that comes in. So um, I'm fortunate, man. I have clients all around the world. Um, so I either just say before COVID, uh, we would mm -hmm. set up um, a face-to-face -face consultation where if you want me to travel to where you are, you know, um, it would be a travel deposit. You know, people fly me all over the world to actually do this. Um, or you're more than welcome to come here in Jackson, Mississippi and sit down in my studio. Um, or we can do it like this. We can do it virtually for the most part. But if you have an event and you reach out to me for a consultation, um, if you don't have basically uh, uh, an idea of what you want to wear, of course, I'm the professional. So you're coming to me. So I will actually pose those questions of what is the lifestyle event? Is it a wedding? Is it a ball? You know, is it what is it? And um, then from there. That allows me to kind of know what the etiquette is, which you should wear with these type of lifestyle events. You know, okay. so if you got a beach destination, I wouldn't put you in a, a wool suit, you know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, I would pose questions for you just to extract to see what is this for, what type of event that you're attending. And then from there, we will basically get together and then I will show you different variations of fabrics. I'll explain certain things about 
you know, um, the, the type of fabrics that are suitable towards the climate that you're going to be in. Um, and then once we select all that, you know, I take you all through the specific, um, the, the specs of like, you know, certain lapels, pockets, um, certain styles, fits, um, you know, um, measurements and all those things. And once all of it is basically, um, you know, uh, put together, um, and I assess all of that, then I would tell you what the total cost is and then you'll place a deposit and then, um, I get the work. And, um, when I finish, we'll go over everything again, make sure everything fits you properly. And, um, you know, you'll, you'll cash me out. <laughs> Already. Now, personal question. With me standing at a massive size of five foot seven, uh, <laughs> will, will tailoring the suit make me look taller? Will at least give me the five eight? <laughs> Get you the five eight. So yeah. there are certain things with like certain colors that we can necessarily do that kind of give you a slight trick of the eye. Uh, for the most part, um, now, you know, um, expanding your growth, you know, your growth and your height, you know, that, if you want to go three inches, that's going to be kind of tough, you know, for the most yeah. part. But um, there are certain colors that I definitely would say that will complement certain things uh, when it comes to appearance. But also uh, the style of how a jacket is supposed to fit you Um that's going to also play into your proportion, your weight, and basically your frame. You know, for instance, short guys who are very, like, stocky mm-hmm. will probably, you know, um, just, you know, um, I'm not necessarily going to say fat, but just just real thick. A mm-hmm. double-breasted jacket doesn't necessarily um, suit their body frame. A, double, a double-breasted jacket, you know, is really intended for someone of slimmer stature for the most part. Not necessarily short, but I'm saying just a smaller frame. So a guy who, you know, is, is pretty stocky and pretty big, you know, I'll make a double breast for you if that's what you want. But if you're trying to basically give a silhouette to thin your frame and make a smaller frame, then what we don't want to do is have a lot of fabric to overlap that shows in a larger mass, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. We just want a single breast so it can kind of keep things very sleek uh, for the most part. So, you know, there's little small little things like that that we can do. Um, lapel ranges, you know, those are what people call the flaps right here. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Typically, you know, they're standard about two and three-fourths to three inches. You know, if you got a big guy and we don't necessarily want to make those lapels bigger because he already has a broad chest, you know, so we would want to make them average or we want to bring it in probably inch or half mm-hmm. inch to, you know, for the most part. So, you know, it's a little small things like that that we can do to complement your frame and also your complexion and your height. <laughs> Damn, you put me on game. Oh, uh, what I about to hit you? Oh, what do you think about the Steve Harvey look? The old <laughs> Steve Harvey look. Hey, the the old, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so that's the thing when uh, when it comes to trends. Um, oh. You know, the late 90s, early 2000s, mid-2000s, um, the, the, what we call the athletic cut was in style, mm-hmm. meaning the wide, the wide cuffs in the pants, um, the wide thigh range, the extra, extra long jackets, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's not necessarily just a, a Steve Harvey look. That was basically the trend style around that time. Um, I can show old pictures of me having, you know, wide cuffs and a longer jacket um, because of the style preference. 
Um, but however, Steve Harvey, Steve Harvey, he made it, I, I would guess, known and signature because um, he was a lot more visible. Mm-hmm. But also, I think he kind of gravitated towards the style a little bit longer than what it should have been <laughs> for the most part. So yeah. that's why he got that moniker, the Steve Harvey suit, for the most part. But, um, you know, that was just a style and a trend at that time, mm-hmm. um, for the most part. Um, fashion is more so subjective, man. You know, just like your okay. sense of style may be different from mine because first style is what you're comfortable in wearing. Okay. You know? That's the style in a sense. So, like, my father, you know, he an OG player, man. You know, he still like wide cuffs in his pants um, for the most part. Um, He doesn't like his trousers to fit him very defined and tapered. However, it's actually very detailed and and the look is very manicured on him that it looks appropriate. Okay. And he wears it with conviction (laughs) and confidence. So... You can look at him and say, damn, that brother clean. And it may be something that you wouldn't wear, but the mm-hmm. way that he wears it, that's his style. And it's, it's you know, a subjective. So, um, you know. Kind of like Michael thing. Jordan. Yeah, kind of like Michael Jordan. Now, Michael Jordan be going, he be going. <laughs> Michael Jordan, <laughs> come on. Michael Jordan go too far with it sometimes, though, man. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, like, he go too far with it sometimes. Like, man, you saw that Hall of Fame suit, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Man, he looked like he had curtains on, man. Like, on his damn pants, man. Right. But, uh, but you know, that's his style. That's his mm-hmm. style, man. That's, that's what he like. And, um, you know, if that's what he feel that he's comfortable in, you know, salute, you know, for the most part. You know, oh, really? My style is more so I approach it in a classic way, but I kind of put like a modern twist on it. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I would say classic is because when I make clothing for myself, um, I would want to wear it 15, 20 years from now, as long as I maintain my size. Because I got certain things back in college that I still wear mm-hmm. um, for the most part because it's classic. I feel that. Key to the City Podcast, we got my kinfolk, Kyrus Brown, in here. Uh, one more style question, then I got one question to close out. Um, the suit with the shorts, like LeBron had on. What's your opinion, what's your opinion on that? You rock that? Nah, not your boy, man. Not your boy. You know what I mean? Not your boy. You know, Le- LeBron is relatively, we we rough, roughly in the same age. I'm 37, LeBron is 35. Mm-hmm. Um and you know them guys, they in Hollywood, man. You know, them guys, they they out west. And even before he went to the Lakers, you know, he he's in uh he 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 is actually one of the people who is in the forefront of culture, you know, for right. the most part. Mm-hmm. And you know, those type of guys, they they will pretty much do certain things that are within the trends of what you know culture may deem as popular at the time for the mm-hmm. most part. Um, but me and myself. That's not my style at all, you know, for the most part. I think it's an oxymoron. Like, why would you have a long sleeve jacket on with some fucking shorts, you know, unless you're in California, <laughs> you know, because that's yeah. California where, you know, my cousins out west, you know, in SoCal, you know, it wasn't enough for them to wear their chucks, their tube socks, their khaki shorts, and a sweater. You know, mm-hmm. that's their style. Mm-hmm. But, you know, here in Mississippi, that's not our style. So right. I dress more so appropriate for the climate and also for my style and my own comfort. But shout out to Brian, you know what I'm saying? But I can't do it, not your boy. <laughs> how, how tall are you? 
I'm six I'm one, six one flat footed. Six one? Nah, looking at yeah. your piece, I was like, nah, this nigga at least six five, six six. <laughs> nah, man. Hey, I'm thin, man. I'm only a buck eighty five. It's soaking wet, but uh, I'm very, I'm, I'm, I'm real thin. I got long, long fucking legs, man. But nah, yeah. I'm six one flat footed. If I put on some shoes, man, I'm six, six two, six two and a half at most, but. Nah, man. If I was six five, my basketball career would have went a lot better than what it did. <laughs> Especially uh, baseball, you know. What yeah. I mean? But nah, I'm six one. <laughs> okay, bet that up there. Uh, my last question was, um, you know, I dedicate this platform to a lot of uh, entrepreneurs like yourself in different industries, and um, you know, they always share uh, a snippet of what their journey has been like. What's some of the obstacles you faced on this journey uh, that you wouldn't mind sharing with us that could probably yeah, encourage someone else to keep keep pressing forward? I mean, you know, I'm transparent, man. So I'm, I'm going to give it, you know, I don't have a lot of time, but just to keep it a thousand, man. Like if we wouldn't know what joy and happiness feels like if it wasn't for hardships. Thanks. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, already being a black man, you already got the odds stacked up against you, man. So you should already have an underdog fight mentality. You know what I mean? As far as how you approach certain things in the world. You know, how I was raised, I already kind of, I was like the black sheep in my family. So I already kind of wore like a chip on my shoulder and I always had like a prove it attitude. And I was always just self-determined and self-motivated. But adding the obstacles in which you will face that you can't control that only fuels, you right. know, my endeavors and my passion to go out there and get what I want, man. You know, obstacles, man, they're good. Like, again, that goes back to me being an obst- optimist and also a, a logical person. When shit happened, I deal with it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's the logic in it. Mm-hmm. And before it happens, I make sure that I strategize and I have a good sound game plan going into so if the cars don't fold necessarily how I expected them to fold, they fold it and I'm finding opportunity somewhere in that deck when they basically collapse. Mm-hmm. And that's what you do with hardships, man. Hardships and, and the pains and the curveballs of life that you can't control, that you can't predict, you can't do anything about it. But the thing that you can do about it, you can find opportunity in it. So mm-hmm. control and master and strategize for the shit that you can actually control. The things that you can't control, find an opportunity in it if it doesn't play out like it's supposed to. You know, Dr. Anthony Browder, he has a book called The Browder Files. That's what he's kind of known for. Uh, but he, he has a quote that's really been an affirmation. Uh, for myself over the past 10 years, even though he's been saying this for a long time. And he's always said that there's no mistakes, no chances, no accidents, uh, no coincidence. All ruled by the divine universe, divine order. Everything mm-hmm. happens for a purpose. Everything. So for the last 10 years, I live my life that there's no mistakes. There's no accidents. There's no coincidence. There are no chances. This shit happened for a reason. Now, what am I going to do with it to get on the other side to where I want to be? So, man, take that mindset of being, you know, basically consistent. Be realistic with yourself when it comes to your abilities, but be unrealistic 
to how you think in your vision. You know, mm. like people say your dreams should scare you. Well, that's true. You know, um, they should scare you. But be realistic within your talents. That's like if you want to do something, but you know you don't have a natural talent at it and you're doing it for the wrong reason, then you need to focus on what you do well instead mm. of trying to get in other people's lane. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Like, I have a lot of people always asking me about my, my craft, and I'm saying, well, where have you start? And most of say, with you. And I'm like, well, nigga, that ain't good. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like, I ain't got all the answers for you. I'm still trying to figure this shit out. You know what I'm yeah. saying? But it comes easy to me because I love it. Mm. I was doing this shit before I got notarized, you know, and, 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 and glorified for this, man. Like, I was doing this with my family, by myself. You know what I'm saying? So I just learned how to turn to a business and um, and here I am. But for the most most part, man, just conclude, just be real with yourself. Be real with your skill set. Learn. Try to perfect your craft. Be very focused. And um, and understand that the mind is subservient. It'll do what you tell it. You just got to tell it what you want it to do, man. And from Ooh. there, the body will follow, bro. Boy, you just gave us a word then. I needed to hear that. Yes, <laughs> Man, Straight up, man, Straight up and down. Plastic collection played around. Start over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> With that, don't be a miss. Plastic collection around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> man, bro, we appreciate you stopping through the city, man. Uh, if ain't nobody told you lately, man, I'm proud of you, King. I want you to keep doing your thing, keep pushing forward, keep uh, inspiring us. Uh, I'm definitely gonna do business with you in the near future. It's time for me to get right. I need at least one tailored suit. Um, and man, just keep on pushing and take the same advice that you've given to us. Uh, if people want to reach out to you, uh, they might want to get custom, uh, tailored up or uh, just pick your brain or something like that. What's the best way to reach out? Man, I got two methods. Uh, one is uh, my Instagram following. If you go in the profile, you'll see my email address. If you click on the contact link, you'll have a direct access uh, as far as number to me and also email. My website is also in the bio. You can go there. You can kind of view my story. You can view um, certain other things as far as things that I offer services. And then also you can um, find basically the, um, the, um, the consultation uh, bio there as well where you basically set up your consultation through there and it come directly to me. Um, those are two pretty much, um, you know, pretty much um, 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 access vehicles that I use. Instagram is Kyris Customs, K-Y-R-I-S-K-U-S-T-O-M-S. And then also my website is www.kyriscustoms.com all together. And uh, that's it, man. I appreciate the opportunity as well, man. I'm proud of you as well. And, um, you know, thank you for sharing your platform, brother. Thank you, boss. Anytime. And hopefully when this uh, corona shit pass, I'll be able to see you out in the city or something. We chop it up. Likewise, man. Likewise, man. Uh, Ken Folk, y'all tune in next week. We're going to have episode 10, man. Y'all go follow my guy, Kyrus Brown, man. Support him. Spread the word. You dig that? Bless up, man. He is Kyrus Brown, the founder, the designer of Kyrus Customs. I am your Ken Folk, Yoni. We out this thing, man. Till the next time. Peace. I big dog. I big dog. Peace out.